Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to episode number two of Permanent Behavior. Right now, it's a series on tattooing in the Bay Area. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, starting this one off by giving a shout-out to my cool-ass co-workers, Rhea Garawal, Ray Alexandra, and Gabe Malik. I mentioned them because a few weeks ago during a KQED Arts mini-retreat, the team sat on blankets near that big Fairyland sign next to Lake Merritt. People like tattooing me. That's when the trio that I just mentioned decided to get stick and poke tattoos from some lovely random stranger who happened to be walking by with a sign that read, Tattoos for $20. That happens when Rhea and Ray get together. They get tattooed in the park. Rhea got an envelope sealed with a heart, a companion piece to Ray's paper airplane. Gabe got an illuminated lamp, which was hand-drawn on the spot by his daughter, Lena. As the lovely stranger tatted them up, sticking and poking, I watched the sanitized needle piercing their skin over and over and over again. I'm a squeamish dude, but I watched. It's a real art. Like, the art of pain. Needless to say, that wasn't my M.O. I've got two tats, and I got both of them back when I was young, dumb, and full of hyphy juice. But this isn't about me or the cool stranger who tatted my coworkers. Nah, we're going skin deep into the craft of stick and poke, or hand poke as some folks call it. We're going to meet someone who's well-versed in the art form. Sophia Bloom, a.k.a. P.O. Poke, out of Berkeley. I feel like everybody is hungry for tattoos right now. <laughs> Peel Polk's work is steeped in black and gray ink and is heavily influenced by nature, featuring birds and botanicals. Her signature style is highly detailed designs with these thin lines that are symmetric shapes and textiles or tapestry. She says that this style stems from her family roots. I have some like ornamental stitch work that is based off of a quilt pattern. My family is like Mennonite, and so they do a lot of hand stitching, hand sewing stuff. Stick around as we poke at this idea of tattooing in the Bay Area and how it's deeper than just ink and skin. Using tattooing as a way to like give back and build community is such an important aspect of our space. It's about workers' rights, mutual aid, and social justice. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey. 
It's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Right now, ish. The origins of tattooing is pretty, pretty far back. Stick and poke feels like more of a, a modern iteration, but non-mechanical or non-machine tattoos have been around for as long as like humans have been wanting to mark their bodies. Hand poke or stick and poke, like that style in my head is tied to like prison tats or even punk tats. Sure, sure. You know, like, am I wrong for having that assumption or connection? That's definitely true. Um, I mean, it's like the simplest form, you know, so it's just accessible. You know, all you need is like a needle or something pointy and some ink. The first tattoos that I ever made were, uh, you know, like big pen and a sewing needle. But that was like when I was like 14 before I knew what I was doing uh, at all. <laughs> it is not something I would recommend for anybody to do. Um, but I feel like that's, you know, in the like prison tattoo or the like punk tattoo it's just kind of like what you have DIY kind of experience but there's also just like so many simple ways you can make a machine too so I think that simplicity is kind of a part of all of that but in terms of like indigenous tattooing practices like those have been around so much longer and there's like a wide range of tools and specific practices that like go into that perusing your Instagram you see that you have a lot of influence from like nature floral influence you know what what's your connection to flowers i mean i've been a florist for 10 years now no 12 years oh time is a wild thing i just you know have an affinity for plants and flowers and i'm like from the bay i grew up like hiking backpacking all around california like i get all my color work done with the, the flower side of things so i don't really bring it into like tattoos or like my art Working with flowers has taught me everything that I know about like design and composition. It's like sculptural, but it's also ephemeral. Like it doesn't last. You're working with something that is temporary. And I'll draw that like parallel with tattoos pretty often. You said something that stuck with me. You said tattoos essentially don't last forever. And when I think of tattoos, I think of like, that's probably the most permanent form of art that I can think of. What lasts longer than tattoos, you know? And so, why why are they impermanent? To me, I think of it in the opposite sense. Like, most art lasts so much longer than your body does. Like, a painting lasts for hundreds of years. Uh, a piece of sculpture will last, like, way longer than the artist itself will last. A photograph will last for a really long time, but you only last as long as you last. Tattooing is essentially just like decorating your vessel and that can end at any moment. So to me, tattooing is one of the most temporary art forms. So often I'll have that conversation with people where they're like, oh, like, isn't it such a commitment? Like, tattoos are so permanent. And I'm always just thinking, you know, they're only as permanent as you are. And if you're thinking of yourself as incredibly permanent, then like, 
yeah, but that's like fixed to you. It's not like in a larger context permanent. It's yeah, it's just something that you're going to have to wear for the rest of your life. Your life, right. Stop being so self-centered. <laughs> <laughs> to a you're certain degree. But yeah, I mean, it is also about like bodily autonomy and being able to be like, this is my body or this is my vessel and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. I mean, I got into reporting on art largely because of, you know, aerosol art, graffiti, you know, murals. And, you know, those are here today, gone tomorrow. We know we know that, you know. Um, and so when in doing this series on tattoos, I'm like, this is an opportunity to talk to people who are at that gateway of transition. When somebody's going through something in life, they go and get a tattoo to mark the passing of a friend or celebrate a, a new partner. And for you to say, like, no, this <laughs> this is just one step in the larger the greater transition is to come at the end. And so it was a bit mind-blowing for you to say that to me. And I'm also wondering, like, your perspective of death, how does that influence your art? I'll bring it back to flowers again, where, like, to me, working with things that aren't going to last is my preferred way to work. I think it reminds us to appreciate what we have while we have it and as it changes. Flowers aren't fixed. You arrange them you appreciate them, and they're gonna pass. Tattoos are somewhat similar, where like, you're not gonna last forever. You can make all of these plans or have all of these ideas, but you know it's all temporary and it's all subject to change. If you get a tattoo and you expect it to say exactly as you got it on the first day, you're gonna be deeply disappointed because like your body is gonna change, your skin's gonna change, it's gonna age. And people are always like, oh, how are you going to feel when you're 80 and you've got all these tattoos on you? And I'm like, I love 80-year-olds with tattoos that are, like, barely visible, that, like, show signs of life and, like, you know, it's just, it's like a history map charting all of these moments in time. Nowadays, Sophia is part owner of her own studio, a collectively owned venture decked out with monstera plants and flower vases. But it wasn't always this way. After learning about what she doesn't want from past experiences, she's made the pivot to a more gratifying situation. The culture of tattooing in America specifically, as I know it, is largely is very masculine, you know? Like, and so I'm just wondering you and how you've navigated this industry that's known to be pretty masculine. I was offered an opportunity at like a queer tattoo shop in South Berkeley, like a couple blocks from where I grew up. And to me, it was one of the first experiences that I'd ever been in a shop where I was like, oh, like I feel at home or I feel like reflected in this space. It was like a queer biker shop in a little bit still of that like tough vibe, but there was a lot of openness around what I was doing, which I appreciated. I started and I kind of assumed that I would be pushed towards like a formal apprenticeship in which they would tell me to stop using stick and poke and that I needed to use a machine. Ultimately, it got to a point where they were like, okay, if you can fill a chair, like doing what you do, like just do what you do. While learning the tricks of the trade, P.O. Polk soon became aware of what it meant to be an independent tattoo artist in other people's shops. Often, it meant a good chunk of your earnings went to the studio. Since there's no real cap to what studios can deduct, it can range anywhere from 30 to 50%. As a tattoo artist, you're kind of in a freelancer model in a shop. Nobody's paying health benefits for you. Like, you don't get 
a pension or like a retirement or anything that comes through your place of work. So it's like, what are you really paying into? I was, you know, like working with a bunch of peers, mostly queer femme artists. And we were kind of like talking to each other, looking around and being like, oh, how much did you pull for the shop this month? Like, how much did you pull for the shop this month? And it was anywhere from like 2,000 per person to like 5,000 per person. After becoming aware of this financial breakdown, Peel Polk and her friends spun off from their employers and formed their own Berkeley-based collective called Thorns Tattoo. In Thorns, it's non-hierarchical, like we're all on an even playing field. You know, we still have to pay into the shop, just gotta keep the roof over your head. After rent and bills and supplies, nobody's profiting off of each other. If there's anything left over, we decide together how we want to use it. You know, we make our own hours. We decide how we want things to operate and run. Nobody is trying to get you to earn more or like nobody is living off of your labor except for you. So what did you have as a frame of reference? Like how did you design? Did you pull this out of thin air? Everybody at the shop is uh, socialist minded or full blown socialist. Also, we're all peers, but I think it's just true to our politics where we're just really conscious about labor. We are still figuring it out as we go. <laughs> it's still a work in progress. Sophia has found a way to blend her politics with her craft. She does things like post flyers on Instagram promoting tattoo benefits where she donates the proceeds to folks on the front lines of social movements, like people who are stopping the construction of oil pipelines on native land. There's an overlap between tattooing and social justice. It is a luxury for so many people that building in something that is like more community minded is really important for me, like being in the Bay, like being able to give back to a place that means a lot to me is always an important aspect of it. It's also a way that you can raise a lot of money really quickly. Like people throw down for tattoos. In my head, it's a bit of a poetic reach, but it seems like you're using your art art that I would think is permanent, obviously it's not permanent because it's on people who don't last forever, but you can create societal change, which is long last. There's something poetic there. Like I love all art forms that are fleeting, that are temporary, that like don't last. Things that like are accessible, that you don't have to go into like a gallery space to see, that don't feel like removed from everyday life. They're like things that you wear, things that you experience when you go outside. Like that to me, is like my favorite form of, of art, that stuff that you just get to interact with. That's not separated from you by glass or elite spaces or anything like that. That's why I still like love a good DIY tattoo, <laughs> you know? Right. Do you get a sense of personal freedom through that? You know, you, tattooing is still work. So there's always times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like I'm... I'm tied to my job or like capitalism or all these things. I'll like go and I'll get tattooed and I'll be like, wow, like this really does give me a feeling of agency and change and transformation. And it helps me remember that I'm facilitating that for other people. It's not just like a luxury item. Like, you know, it is still, you know, like... We don't need tattoos, but uh, it's still like more than an object or like a fickle purchase. On a chemical sense, tattooing releases endorphins. 
just like pain, you know, it releases adrenaline, a kind of natural high from it where you're like, oh yeah, I just did that. That's cool. Like I'm a little different. I've made a choice and I'm walking out of here with like a new piece of art that is on me. And that is always like a, a pretty rad feeling. I feel good about this thing that I do. Big thank you to Sophia Bloom, a.k.a. P.O. Polk. I appreciate you for reminding me that it's always deeper than the art. There's the business and the politics, the isms, geography, culture, and so much more. The simple act of piercing the skin is just where the story begins. Thanks for sharing some of the details of what happens behind the scenes. You all can find P.O. Polk's work at po.polk on Instagram, and the shop's info is thorns.tattoo. Marisol Medina Cadena and Kiana Moganum are the producers of this episode. Jin Chin edited this episode. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Justin Ebrahimi and Rhea Garewal are the engagement specialists. Our production intern is Corey Antonio Rose. Kiana Moganum is the senior producer of podcasts. KQED execs are David Marcus, Jin Chin, and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Thank you for listening. We're halfway through Permanent Behavior, our four-part series on tattooing culture in the Bay Area. Next week, we have a dope story about a henna artist who has taken her craft to the next level. I'm excited to share it with you. Until then, take care. Peace. Right Now-ish is a KQED production. I'm done working retail. Like I'm going to put everything into this tattoo basket. And I'm really good at getting people to quit their jobs. It's something about me. <laughs> Funding for Right Nowish comes from Akinati Foundation, supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy, and you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.